0: And welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of ECFR and this week we're going to talk about Poland, the rule of law, the Polish elections and Polish-German relations. After the EU finally came to an agreement with Hungary last week over financial aid, all eyes are now back on Warsaw and its protracted conflict with Brussels over the rule of law. At the same time, a series of public spats between Warsaw and Berlin have drawn attention to some of the rifts within the EU and the Western Alliance more broadly. And many people expect the run up to the elections in Warsaw next year to be more defined by the conflict with Berlin than that with Russia over Ukraine. I am thrilled to be joined by an all-star cast to help us make sense of the situation on the rule of law in Berlin, how the war in Ukraine has affected Polish politics, what it means for its relationship with neighbours, the EU, and also to, to understand why Poland has decided to open this second front with Germany at the moment. I'm just back from Warsaw myself, as is my first guest, uh, Jana Poulierin, who's the head of the Berlin office and a senior policy fellow. But to help us all make sense of all these things is our permanent Warsaw resident, Piotr Baras, who's the head of ECFR's office there and also a senior policy fellow at ECFR. Thank you very much for joining. Piotr, why don't we start with this spat about the rule of law, you know, it hasn't been in the news so much recently, because Hungary uh, has been making the headlines, but now it's right back in the centre of things. But can you tell us about what's going on there and maybe put it in this sort of wider political context in Poland?
1: Yes, thank you, Mark. And uh, let me start with a very brief overview of what has happened um, in this conflict of the rule of law between Warsaw and Brussels over the last few months, because what is at stake from the Warsaw perspective is not just or not only the future of the Polish rule of law-based order, but also the EU funds and the European Commission and the EU Council approved of the Polish National Recovery Plan. This is a plan which is the basis for the release of billions of euro from the EU recovery fund. 36 billion of euro are at stake from the Polish perspective. But this money has not been released yet because Poland has not complied with uh, so-called milestones, uh, which are many conditions for the release of this money, but the most important ones are related to the rule of law and, and the judicial reform. And it has been a protracted conflict over this. The Polish government passed a law in uh, in June and, and hoped that, that would be enough, but it was not enough. The commission said very clearly that further reforms are needed, but the Polish government, uh, the Polish ruling coalition, was unable to find an internal consensus how to do it. And and now we have a new developments for the last few weeks there have been uh, constant negotiations going on between uh, warsaw and brussels uh, the polish deputy foreign minister visiting brussels and uh, trying to find a compromise and the background for this is twofold i think this one is the very quickly deteriorating economic situation in poland with very high inflation with a very weak uh, zloty the polish currency and high interest on the polish national bonds so the credibility financial credibility of Poland has suffered immensely in the last months and um, the government is very much worried, especially in the context of, of the fall of the distrust government in the UK, which demonstrated how dangerous it might be to play with the or against the financial market. And I think this is the one of the, or if not the key driver, for a change of attitude. Because for months, the Polish government was saying no further concessions to the EU. Brussels is as bad as Moscow. Brussels is controlled by Berlin. And, and so there was a very strong anti-EU propaganda and a very strong anti-EU narrative. And now we have a change. So this, the, the economic situation is one declining factor. And the other is, of course, uh, which you mentioned in your introduction, the upcoming parliamentary election next year. And the the government knows that the huge majority of polls is strongly pro-European and The polls do not understand actually how it's possible that some minor changes to the judiciary system cannot be passed while such huge financial support is dependent on them. So in view of the also worsening opinion polls for the ruling party and also a rising criticism about this inflexibility in the talks with, with Brussels, the government decided to seek for a compromise. So this is the background and now what's happening these days, and it's quite interesting because it's a very very fascinating political theater, which is playing out at the moment, because we have a new law or a draft law, actually, which was very closely coordinated between the Warsaw government and Brussels. And apparently, please, a significant part of of the commission signed out to the Warsaw government that this law would be sufficient to get the money released. So there was a huge excitement in Warsaw and the Warsaw government, and Prime Minister Morawiecki was pressing hard for getting this law Passed through this parliament as quickly as possible, basically yesterday or the day before yesterday, and turns out that it won't be so easy. The one reason is that one small coalition partner in the Polish government is against any concessions and is not interested in receiving this money. It's a very strongly anti-European party by Zbigniew Szoborod, the Minister of Justice. So he's against the new law, and that means that the government doesn't have a majority. The opposition could actually vote for such a new law because, you know, everybody in Poland is interested in receiving ultimately the money from the recovery fund. But this new law is 90% of constitutional lawyers claim unconstitutional. It clearly violates the Polish constitution, so the opposition hesitates to support it. But what is even more interesting and more important is that President Duda who needs to sign off the law so that it can enter into force, indicated that he wouldn't do it. Because for completely different reasons, he believes that the, the law undermines his own position in the judiciary system. So... The law was supposed to be processed in the, in the parliament, but it was, uh, the idea was dropped after President Duda said that he would be against this law and would uh, actually indicated that it, he would veto it. So now it seemed as if we were very, very close to a deal, to a compromise, but now it seems as if it was much more complicated and the outcome of the whole story is, is still completely open.
0: And from Brussels and Berlin perspective, Jana, do you think that people are going to hold firm on the rule of law issues? Because at the beginning of the war in Ukraine, there was definitely a sort of feeling that with Poland playing the role it does on the front line, it was important for us to downplay the importance of these rule of law issues and find a way of working with the Polish government. But now we've heard from von der Leyen when she was speaking at Princeton University that Poland hadn't done enough and that she was going to, to make... Maintain a stance on this? How do you see Brussels playing its side of the deal?
2: Actually, I think that the Commission has been standing quite firm this time. And also, when I look at the position that Berlin has taken, I think they are really trying to uphold a strong position and to make sure that no further violation of the rule of law is accepted. That is my impression. I have talked to some Hungarian diplomats before basically the decision was taken that Piotr uh, talked about, and they were quite bold and confident that this time basically the other European countries would again try to appease Hungary and to water it all down. And I think that has not happened. And we have seen the contrary. And because of that, and because that was seen as quite successful dealing with Hungary, I don't see that this position is going to change uh, vis-a-vis Poland, but maybe I'm too optimistic.
0: Okay. And how do people feel about Poland blocking all this money to Ukraine in order to advance its agenda? It seems kind of almost as weird as not accepting patriot missiles from Germany.
2: Yeah, maybe I can give you a German perspective on this. So the German-Polish relationship has been deteriorating quite significantly. I think ever since 2015, when the Peace Party basically came into government, but even more significantly since the war in Ukraine started. And I think we have to separate two things here. One is a lot of disappointment with Germany and loss of trust. That is actually not only visible in Poland, but that is widely shared in Central and Eastern Europe. I've heard it in Prague, I've heard it in Riga, I've heard it in Tallinn. So, this is one thing. But then there is a particularly difficult Polish angle to it. I would call it bluntly Germany bashing, has become a sport that I think the Polish or parts of the Polish government use to enhance their chances to get re-elected, um, So there seems to be an anti-German election campaign going on in Poland. And I think the Patriot saga was part of that. And there is kind of really nasty criticism towards Germany, which the German government, but even I as a, as a person who's often critical with my government, feel as not fair. So when the news broke that Poland was not signing up to this package, many people here said, oh, they are so hypocritical and they have basically double standards. They go after Germany all the time and and say, we don't do enough for Ukraine. But then when push comes to shove and they have their own priorities and their own priorities are not Ukraine. So it fueled a bit those voices um, in Berlin who tend to think that the criticism that we hear from Poland is not only to basically advance Ukraine's best interest, but it's very much about advancing the Peace Party's best interests in the next election. Although, as I said, I understand part of the criticism that we hear from Poland because I don't hear it only from Poland, but we need to separate these two things, I think.
0: Piotr, very few people have spent as much time thinking about Polish-German relations as you, having lived for a long time in, in Germany, but also being a kind of interlocutor and student of of all of these different political disputes that we've had over many years can you talk a bit more about how you see this relationship developing it's kind of extraordinary that with a war in Ukraine going on the Polish government should be looking back to the second world war and asking for reparations at the moment how do you explain that how much resonance does the Germany bashing that Jana talked about have with the Polish public?
1: Perhaps let me start with a thing which, which is particularly important to me, which I think is that what we experience now, it could be, theoretically, it could be a huge opportunity and probably the best phase even in the Polish-German relation. Because if you look at not only at the scale of risks and, and problems looming for Poland, for Europe, for Germany, especially in the East at the moment, it is obvious that this is a moment for a Polish-German rapprochement and polish German partnership, and if you look at, with all criticism we may have about the and, and Germany's foreign security policy, and I think also that a huge part of this criticism, even in Poland, is legitimate. I think the overall direction of Germany's foreign and security policy is absolutely positive from the Polish perspective, and we have never seen so much, you know, controversies in in Germany, so much, you know, disputes about direction of Germany's diplomacy, and and Germany. Germany Germany has never been so close paradoxically to the Polish positions when it comes to security policy energy policy Russia policy and so with with all differences of course but at the same time this relationship is in really dire straits I mean there is zero mutual trust I think at the moment and, and there is a very powerful instrumentalization of Germany and German Polish relations in the Polish political sphere as Jana already indicated and what worries me most is the fact that among those Rather few people, to be very honest, who really care about Polish-German relations in Berlin. There is a widening perception, a broadening perception, that nothing can be done. That this is, you know, that, that the people who who could. Push for a reorientation of Germany's, especially Eastern policy, away from the Russia-first approach to Central Eastern Europe-first approach. They feel more and more kind of disappointed, isolated, and not vindicated, basically, because even if they try, like Annalena Baerbock visiting Warsaw on the National Day of Germany on the third of October and trying to send a positive message, they encounter, you know, interlocutors who hand the reparations port over them. So I think there is a kind of very unfortunate situation that there, there could be a moment of a great opportunity, but this opportunity is being missed. And, and of course, both sides are kind of responsible for that. But I think looking from the Polish perspective, I think this really inexplicable instrumentalization of Polish-German relations for the sake of domestic
0: policy is,
1: is something which, yes, bears a lot of responsibility for that.
0: So I'd like to go more into that but I don't think it's at all inexplicable if we look at the Polish electoral landscape and maybe it's worth just getting you to explain that a bit more clearly to people. So we're expecting elections next year, the economy is not doing great, 18% inflation at the moment, the Law and Justice party has lost support in the polls, there is a lot of support for for the opposition and you have an increasingly polarized country. We've been doing polling for a long time and Poland looks more like the United States of America than many other European countries, in that you have red states and blue states or the equivalent thereof, and seems to be very little interplay between these different blocks with people changing sides. But you've got a, a very clearly polarized geographical map. Can you sort of maybe both make some predictions about what's going to happen in the elections, but put the German dispute into that domestic political context?
1: Yeah, I mean yeah, perhaps right that it is less inexplicable than than I suggested because but it is surprising at least at the first glance to see, you know, Germany playing such a prominent role in this domestic political debate while Germany is not so controversial as a topic in, in any wider political uh, public opinion. But I think the explanation for that is what you referred to is the polarization of the Polish society and the political space because if you observe the pol- political political moves of the political parties in Poland, you need to keep one thing in mind, that this campaign, like many others in the past, will be... First and foremost, about the mobilization of your round electorate and not about trying to convince part of the voters of the other side. And here is where Germany comes in. So basically if you if you look at this anti-German campaign in electoral terms, you, you come to the conclusion that the target group of this campaign is not the you know, broad Polish society or the the center of the Polish society, which is rather ambivalent about Germany or even have positive opinions about Germany, but rather some fringe electorates, which is extremely important for the ruling party. And even if, if these are two, three, four percentage points, they might prove to be decisive when it comes to the outcome of the election. This is why it is so important to, first of all, make sure that these people vote for the ruling party, and secondly, that they go to vote. And this is why this campaign needs to be very emotional, needs to uh, be polarizing. And this is, you know, the background for Germany bashing coming from the government side. But when it comes to the prospects for the election, I think this is still very open. I think if I would bet today, I would say the opposition will win this election. But we need to remember this is still one year to go and a lot of things can happen. Everything depends basically on whether the energy situation this winter will be as dramatic as as some people predict or whether the government manages to get control of it. We will need to look at the EU funds and whether they come to Poland. If it happens, it will be a major success for the ruling party and will help it a lot. So we are heading for a very, I think, nasty political campaign and then very uh, difficult politically period of time in Poland. But I think, unlike like in Hungary, in Poland, chances for the opposition to win are really very high. And there hasn't been any opinion poll in the last months which would indicate that the ruling party could regain the parliamentary majority. So, this is at least from the perspective of the liberals in Poland, there is a reason for hope, but there is also a reason for really considerable efforts to, to make it happen.
0: So the current thing, according to what you've been writing, is about a third of the public support the the Law and Justice Party, a little bit less the Civic Coalition, and then you've got another sort of three or four parties that are likely to get in who could make the difference on either sides. And there's still big debate about whether the opposition has a single united list or whether they have two lists or three lists or even more. We're running out of time. And one of the things I'm really keen to get you to explain, Piotr, because you were so fascinating about it when we were talking earlier, is the effect of the war and particularly refugees on Polish society. But before we do that, Jana, you just spent a few days in Warsaw talking to lots of people about foreign policy and the war in Ukraine. To what extent do you think it's going to be possible for us to compartmentalize these kind of domestic issues and the, the rule of law issues from the war in Ukraine and the geopolitical cooperation, which uh, is going to be necessary for us to succeed on Ukraine?
2: I think there will be certainly spillover effects. And we see this already with a package that uh, was supposed to be approved in Brussels, kind of, that is what the Poles actually constantly complain about that we mix rule of law questions with kind of questions of support uh, for Ukraine. But I think a a certain compartmentalization needs to happen and has happened since the war started. I want to comment quickly on what Piotr has said, because the Polish-German relationship is very, very important, I think, uh, to the German government, this one, and every previous government. So... Piotr is right. I think there is a lot of frustration in Berlin and this idea that we don't have a partner to work with as long as this election campaign is ongoing. But still, at the other hand, there is also a strong sentiment that this is too urgent now, not only when it comes to Ukraine, but also when it comes to the bilateral relationship. So I think Berlin will keep making offers to the Polish government. And you've seen this actually with the Patriot example. So I think one of the reasons why it was put forward the way it was by Christine Lambrecht in the media, was to make it not easy for the Poles to basically ignore it. So I think the Germans wanted it out there and thought it was too good an offer to reject. I think they didn't count on getting it back as, yeah, the idea to please send the Patriots to Ukraine. I mean, in the end, now the Patriots are going to be stationed in Poland. So it shows that it was actually a good idea and a successful initiative by the Germans, because now German soldiers will be stationed in Poland. And I think that will do a lot of good to the Polish-German relationship. Sentiment here is that after the election, it must get better and it will get better, regardless of who wins, because even a peace government will be more ready to work with the Germans again. And then I think sentiment here is that you cannot avoid Germany. I mean, you cannot compartmentalize Germany away. Germany is a giant and you need to have a working relationship somehow uh, with Germany. And what is of priority right now, I think, is that we continue to have ideas about what we could do together in case that there is a more cooperative government in in Warsaw so that the Germans are ready to have all these initiatives that Piotr talked about that we can have in theory also to support Ukraine and where we can work together.
0: So the war in Ukraine has totally transformed Europe. I think if anyone's been transformed Poland more than than anyone else and Piotr you've been incredibly articulate about explaining some of the changes one of the most visible ones are the two and a half million Ukrainians who live in Poland at the moment and you've even talked about how Ukraine's becoming a binational country with eight percent of the population born outside of Ukraine which is a, a huge change for a country that was characterized above all else over the last couple of decades by emigration rather than immigration. Can you talk a bit more about how the war, in particular the refugees, are changing the nature of Polish society and what you think the long-term consequences of that might be?
1: Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, it is indeed a, a major development in, in many ways, this influx of, of Ukrainian refugees. I mean, of course, Ukrainian immigration did not start with the war. It started with the
0: last war in, in 2014. <laughs>
1: Yes, we had one million of Ukrainian guest workers, basically, living in Poland before the war. But then there was a huge wave of Ukrainian refugees. And there were, at some point, there were even three millions of Ukrainians in, in Poland or even more, perhaps. At the moment, they are all together too. 0.5 million probably and this is this is significant because you know as you said i mean Poland was a country of emigration now we are becoming or have become or in the last years a country of immigration it was a little bit under the radar of even the polish public opinion but we already had some guest workers from asian countries from africa and of course the numbers were not very high but still we we need immigrants because of the shortages on the, on the labor market but of course the immigration of ukrainians it's a different nature because they are war refugees. But I think this is quite incredible. You know, in big cities in, in Warsaw, you hear Ukrainian, Russian language every day, everywhere. But it's not just, you know, a matter of naive multiculturalism. It's a huge task also for the state, for the society long term. When it comes to the integration efforts, when it comes to integration policies, it opens up lots of discussion in Poland about Polish history and identity, but also a said immigration and integration policy, the discussions which have been largely absent in Poland in the last decade, which are probably very well known in Western Europe but in in the Polish context it is something new and I think this is it is a huge as said it's a huge task for the Polish state and I think we are at the moment yet really up to it but this is something which will certainly shape also Poland's politics in the upcoming years.
0: Okay unfortunately we are running out of time now but we have one thing left to do on this podcast which is our bookshelf segment. Jana, what's on your bookshelf?
2: So I would like to recommend an article in the New York Times by Stephen Erlanger, which is titled, Spat Over Patriot Missiles Reveals Deepening Rifts in Europe Over Ukraine. And I mean, this article is brilliant because it has quotes from both Piotr and me, but also because it connects basically the German-Polish story to the broader story about the new power center or center of gravity in the European Union led by by Poland, but the Baltic States, Finland, Romania, the Czech Republic, and how kind of this relates to the old power center of France and Germany. So I, th- I think this article just dives a little deeper into our conversation. And so it's good, good read.
0: What could be better than Steve Erlanger, you and, and Piotr all in one article? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Piotr, what's not to love? What's on your bookshelf? On my
1: bookshelf is something less work-related because I I want to go to Barcelona to watch a football match together with my son, who's a fan of FC Barcelona. And as a matter of preparation, I'm reading Robert Hughes' Barcelona, which is a great biography of the city. And I think something which can be recommended for the Christmas days for everybody interested in Spanish and Catalan politics and history.
0: That's amazing. And I'm also, for the first time in many, many months, escaping from geopolitical stuff and started reading a novel called Youth by J.M. Coetzee. And there's one line in it, which is kind of really making me think about it, maybe as a line for our times, where the protagonist says that he doesn't know because he keeps a diary. What is true or false in the diary? Is it the optimistic, positive things about his life? Is it the pessimistic, negative bits or some kind of average of the two? And, you know, given the kind of swings and turns in our lives at the moment, it's it's something to to think about as we head into our Christmas break. Thank you very much to all of you for a fascinating discussion. We have all benefited a lot from being in Warsaw for the last few days because the world definitely looks very differently there. And you do feel a sense of a society that is going through a major transformation, as Piotr described. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do make the time to to subscribe to this podcast. And while you're there, you might also want to subscribe to the new podcast which Yanka Urtler and I have just started on China called Insight China, which was launched last week on the ECFR on Air platform. We talk to leading Chinese intellectuals there. And, you know, while you're there, if you want to give a five-star review and a positive rating to either The World in 30 Minutes or Insight China, we would be extremely grateful. We'll put links up to all of our publications that we mentioned on our website at ecfr.eu. But for now, from Yana Poulierin, Piotr Buras, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. We will be taking a short break for the holidays next week. We'll be back with a new episode on January the 6th, when Jeremy Shapiro and I will be looking ahead at 2023 and ranking our predictions for 2022. So join us then. In the meantime, the researcher of this podcast is Anand Sundar and the editor of this episode is Natalia Schwartz.